I'm going to have us uh, turn in our Bibles today. I'm excited about looking at uh, John chapter 7. And I've actually shortened my sermon, believe it or not, so you can relax. Uh, <laughs> I want to let you out on time because we have kids that want to go somewhere too. So. But we're going to talk a little bit about how to handle being misunderstood by other people. And I think we've all had this experience in our life. And it's obviously, you know, it's a very painful experience to have people accuse you uh, who, who you love, you know, and you're not guilty of what you're being accused of. And the truth is the exact opposite. Uh, to be misunderstood, I think, is a very difficult pill to swallow. And, you know, all of us want to be understood. I think that's a great need in all of our lives. And especially when you have someone attack you that you love and you don't see it coming. That is very, very difficult to handle. And I want to take a look a little bit about how it happened to Jesus and what we can learn from Jesus' experience. Because I believe if we look at how he models himself in addressing these kinds of experiences, that you and I can embrace that model for our own lives and learn something from it. And instead of walking around wounded or being offended or being unforgiving or being devastated or crushed, that you and I can turn a very negative experience into a very positive one. And I'm going to show you that today. And I think that's what's really exciting. Now, in John chapter 7, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. There's a change in the geographical location. Jesus is going to move. This is a scene. Jesus is in Galilee. He's talking to his half-brothers. And they're encouraging him to go down to Judea. This has been like six months after the feeding of the 5,000. There's kind of a little bit of a chronology. In chapter 6, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. Six months has elapsed. There's probably about seven more months in the life of Jesus. And he knows that his time is coming to an end. Could you imagine knowing that you're about to be crucified? And you know that there are people that hate you and want you to be dead. And Jesus is well aware of all of these things that are happening. And when you, when you have that kind of pressure and that kind of adversity coming against you, you know, you're really looking to have some people support you. And unfortunately, sometimes the people you think you're going to get it from, it doesn't always materialize that way. And that's a very heartbreaking and very crushing experience. We read now that Jesus is cautiously traveling about in the regions of Galilee, and the festival of tabernacles is drawing near, and it's celebrated in the city of Jerusalem. The tension now surrounding Jesus' ministry is now escalating. People are polarizing regarding his ministry. You know, while earlier in his ministry, attitudes were forming both positively and negatively toward him, but now in this segment of his ministry, they're becoming hardened. They're becoming fixed. You know, people that were for him are locking in. People that are against him are locking in. And there's a hostility that's really developed by the, many of the religious leaders, if not, not, not all of them, but the majority of them is certainly in this place. And it's created now a fear for the people who openly support Jesus to actually openly do it. Uh, they're afraid because... Uh, there, you know, we've read that, you'll see that in John chapter 9, that they'll be put out of the synagogue. There's, there's going to be a cost to identifying with Jesus, and people are afraid to openly admit that they're followers of Christ. Now, of course, the 12 are openly admitting it, and there's others that are, but a lot of people are, I would, I'm going to call them secret disciples. You know, they don't want to let people know that they have a leaning towards who Jesus is. But the real tragedy, as we're going to see, is that Jesus' own half-brothers 
are in a state of unbelief. And this is the story we're picking up here in chapter seven, this conversation between Jesus and these half-brothers. And we're gonna see their attitude and how Jesus handles uh, their misconception of who he is. And actually, they're a little bit sarcastic and uh, they probably think that, you know, Jesus is, you know, uh, he's, he's really lost in their minds. He, he's, he, you know, Jesus, they think, thinks too much of himself. You know, how many know that can happen in families? You know, a little bit of sibling rivalry and all the rest of it. I remember listening to a comedian once and he was talking about, could you imagine growing up, you know, like James or Jude and some of these brothers in the house of Jesus? And of course, you know, Mary and Joseph are saying, why can't you be a little bit more like Jesus? You know, <laughs> you know it's kind of a hard act to follow when you got a, a, one person who's never sinned. And that was Jesus' situation, you can imagine. I think even Mary and Joseph at time were convicted by their behavior because they had Jesus living in their house. So how did Jesus handle their response? Let's pick up the story in verse one. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about it and did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. And he knew that. It says, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. F.F. Bruce says, by this time of the year, all the harvests had been safely gathered in. Not only barley and wheat harvest, but also, the, which was reaped in April through June, but also the grape and olive harvest as well. The festival of gathering at the end of the agricultural year was an occasion for great rejoicing. The Hebrews called it the Feast of Booths because for the full week that it lasted, seven days, people lived in makeshift booths of branches and leaves. Many Jews from outlying parts of Palestine and from the dispersion went to Jerusalem for the festival, for this was one of the three great pilgrimages of the Jewish year. So this was a, a high moment. This was a celebration moment. And they were all gonna head down to Jerusalem and, and this was their custom to do that. And that's why the brothers, half-brothers said, hey, let's go down to Jerusalem. And when, when you're down there, why don't you tell people who, you know, do, do what you're gonna do. In other words, if you wanna, you know, let people know who you are, this is the time to do it in their minds. D.A. Carson also shares a little bit of the window of time. This is about six months after the feeding of the 5,000. So what happens next kind of reveals the division in where people are at regarding Jesus. How many know Jesus was and is still is today a very polarizing figure? Does anybody know that? I mean, I can talk to people about God, but the moment I mention Jesus, it's a very polarizing name. People either love Jesus or they don't love Jesus. You know, there's not a lot of neutrality. And we can see that. And yet, I want to just encourage all the believers because listen, there's more believers today living on planet Earth than there's been in the entire history of mankind. How's that? Uh, there's more people coming to faith every day. You know, God is doing a miraculous work. So a lot of times what we focus on is all the bad news and all the negative things and all the heartbreak and all the wars and, and this and that and that. And it gets very discouraging. But I want to encourage you right now that in some of the darkest parts of the world where we think, you know, God couldn't be doing anything, some of the work of the church is growing in leaps and bounds. It's mind-boggling. Uh, like even in Iran right now, it's probably the fastest growing part of the church of Jesus Christ in the world right now. Isn't that amazing? And sometimes we look at what's going on. And so, you know, you're hearing one side of the story, but there's the rest of the story that a lot of times that information is being suppressed.
and people are unaware of it. Let's take a look at the two responses that we need to learn from Jesus and how to handle uh, the people that misunderstand us. And the first one is really simple. We need to explain our position to others. And I think we need to keep in mind that when we're explaining, we're not trying to compel people to agree with us. Okay, step number one. You know why there's a lot of conflict? Is when, we, when people feel manipulated and pressured to agree with our position. Can I just tell us we need to relax about that? Number two, it's not about winning arguments. You know, a lot of times we feel like, well, I'm going to prove to these guys. No, forget that. You're not going to prove anything. You know, people, uh, when they have it in their own minds a different understanding, I think the best thing we can do is be loving and gracious and just explain where we're coming from and leave it at that. And I'm going to tell you a reason why we're going to do this. You're going to see what happens in the story here. It's so, to me, it's such a beautiful story. To me, it's interesting that John now is, when he's presenting the Gospel of John, this is one of the 12, he's telling the story from 30 years after the resurrection. He's looking this way, you know, but now he's going to tell the story as if it's actually happening. And I think it's going to tell us a little something, because some of those same half-brothers, uh, well, I just put a calm explanation, even though not accepted at the moment, may one day help those who do not understand us now finally to get it, finally to understand later. I want you to think of these, these half-brothers who are seen in this uh, rather adversarial relationship with Jesus. You're going to see they're very sarcastic, you know. Uh, their, their thoughts about Jesus aren't nice, and I'll show you that in the text. But they actually later on become some of the greatest advocate and church leaders after Jesus' resurrection. Do you know the book of James and the book of Jude, those are two of the half-brothers. So they finally got convinced after Jesus rose from the dead. But before that, they didn't buy it. They did not buy that Jesus was the Messiah. They, did not buy, they didn't understand who he was. They knew he was different. They knew he was unique, and they couldn't question the fact that he was able to do these miracles. I mean, they saw some of these miracles. You know, the wedding uh, of turning water into wine. They were probably at that wedding festival. They, that was kind of probably a relative of theirs, and they saw what Jesus did. You know, as I said, two of those half-brothers actually wrote New Testament letters. But let's take a look at the sarcastic remarks from these half-brothers. Verse 3, they said to Jesus, why don't you just leave Galilee, go down to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Uh, so I just put down, who were these brothers that John's talking about here? And I think Mark gives us a little bit of an insight. In Mark's gospel, when he's talking about Jesus in the, in the region of Galilee and even in his own hometown of Nazareth, this is how the, Na the people from Nazareth said about Jesus. said, hey, listen, isn't this guy the carpenter? I mean, who does he think he is, right? You know, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And many did not believe because Jesus was basically saying, I'm fulfilling the prophecy of the book of uh, Isaiah here. I'm the one. He says, I'm the one that's come. And they're, they're, just, they're just going, are you kidding me? You know, we know who you are, Jesus. We know your pedigree. We, you know, but they didn't understand that Jesus was Mary's son, but he certainly wasn't Joseph's son because the Bible tells us that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, I think some of their comments, too, uh, as, I, as I point out here, you know, uh, th their, their comments were, maybe were made in, in light of the fact that Jesus had, 
alienated by his comments in John chapter 6. You know, a lot of people were following Jesus until he told them, you have to eat my body and drink my blood, right? Remember that? Many disciples stopped following him, and that's because they, they saw this as a literal statement. They didn't take it as a metaphor. Jesus was really trying to tell them, you have to believe in my sacrifice, but that, that had not even happened yet. Jesus hadn't given his life yet. So they're kind of confused as to what Jesus is saying, and some people take offense to this, and they leave, and his brothers are going, man, Jesus, you're really messing it up. You had way more followers before. Uh, maybe you need to recover some of your losses. You know, I'm, I'm just pointing out, you know, some of these ideas that are probably floating in their heads, you know, these half-brothers. Uh, this is what they say. Hey, no one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. And Jesus, you're kind of running around the backwaters of Galilee here, you know, this rural area, you're never going to, if you're the Messiah, you, you should be out there, you know, leading the charge. You know, you need to be down in the capital. You need to be, you know, convincing the key people. You know, he says, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. In other words, let people know who you are. You should come down there and do it. Well, how many know that Jesus has a totally different game plan than they have? They're, they're thinking on a natural level. Uh, you know, you can't keep hiding out in this rural area of Galilee and expect to have, you know, be the Messiah of the, of the Jewish people. It's not going to work, Jesus. Carson says, but John the evangelist doubtless sees, this is a key verse, verse five, it's because this shows you where they're coming from. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe in him. They weren't his followers, Okay. John the evangelist doubtless sees irony in their request. Jesus' brothers want Jesus to put on a display. Uh, and John's readers already know that such a display would pander to corrupt motives and in any case would not ensure genuine faith. Just because people see miracles doesn't mean they're going to believe. I know that, you know, we kind of think, well, you know, if they only saw a miracle, they're going to believe. Well, you know, the, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead later on, and, they, and some of them didn't believe, right? They just ran off and told the leaders, hey, guess what? Jesus is raising people from the dead. They, they, they recognized the miracle, but that doesn't mean they attribute that to God. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders attributed it to Satan. And that's why Jesus was upset with them. He says, you know, how can a kingdom, you know, be divided against itself and prevail? So he's challenging these guys. So Jesus now explains his approach to ministry here. Uh, Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time is not yet fully come. Okay, first, let's take a look at what he's saying here. Jesus says his time to go to the festival has not yet come. In other words, he doesn't determine his, his steps. Jesus is saying, I'm only doing what the Father wants me to do. My time, unless the Father tells me to go, I don't go. You guys can do your thing. You, you've, you've been doing your thing all along. I'm doing God's will. How many know that if you and I surrender our lives to Christ to say, your will be done, not mine, that doesn't mean you just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. I think a lot of people live like that's a mistake. Notice what uh, D.A. Carson says. Jesus' brothers would not be upset to hear Jesus say his time had not yet come, but they would have been scandalized or offended to hear him say, for your, your, you, any time is right. In other words, 
It's almost as if they are being excluded from the sovereignty, God's divine sovereignty. Not that God suspends his providential reign in their case, but that what they did was utterly without significance as far as God is concerned. In other words, what Jesus is basically saying is, look, you guys aren't even in step with God. You're not even a part of what God's doing. You're not a part of God's kingdom. How many think that would be a little offensive? They thought they were good Jewish guys, right? Jesus is saying, you guys don't even know him. You don't know my father. You're not, in, you're not on the inside yet. You're still on the outside. He says, that's why the world is, you know, you can, you can go down there and they're going to accept you. The world's not going to hate you because you're a part of the system. That's what he's telling them. The reason why they hate me is I'm not a part of the system. And when I go somewhere, everything I do testifies against the system. That's why the world hates me. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff. And I think, uh, let me just keep, uh, let's say it this way here. In addition to stating that his mission in life was different from that of, the, of humanity at large, Jesus says that the relation between himself and the world was different from that which, uh, between him and his, his own brothers here. We're warned as believers, um, this is Merrill Tenney saying that, same thing I'd already said there. You know, James is kind of telling us. I think it's interesting that James tells us this because Jesus said it, probably directed it to him. James makes this very strong statement in his letter. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Enmity means you're in conflict with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, you know, I, I just sat down and thought about this. You have a choice. Everybody has a choice in life. If you're a friend of this world, you're God's enemy. And if you're a friend of God, the world is your enemy. They're not going to like you. You know, and a lot of, a lot of people can't handle that. They, they want everybody to like, they, they want everybody to like you. Can I tell you, if you're really following Jesus, there'll be people who really love you, and there'll be people who really hate you. And it's got nothing to do with what you're saying. Well, I shouldn't say that. Nothing to do with who you are as a person. It's got more to do with who you represent. And when you and I are walking in the light, every time we, we show up, we're actually testifying against evil. Just our presence does it. Isn't that amazing? You know, some people, you know, we're the ones that rain on people's parades when they want to do the evil thing. That's why they hate, that's why they hate righteousness. Wickedness hates righteousness. Darkness hates light. And that's why people hate Jesus, because they want to do what's evil, not do what's right. You know, they're avoiding it. So Jesus says, listen, you know, the, the reason why the world hates him, he says, is his, his life is a testimony or a witness against evil. Have you ever had that kind of a backlash that, you know, sometimes people don't like you just because of who you stand for? We've all experienced that if we're a believer. You know, I love what G.K. Chesterton, he was a journalist and social philosopher over a century ago, and he answered a series of articles from the London Times. There was articles being written about the times that they were living. This is the turn of the 19th century, and they were just saying how bad the world was, you know? Kind of the conversation we have today. You know, the world's terrible, it's all dark, it's terrible, it's terrible. I hear these conversations a lot. And this guy was writing these articles and kind of researching and sharing all the problems. And, and he, he finished every article with, with the following statement. What's wrong with this world? 
And G.K. Chesterton was reading these articles and he wrote back to the London Times and he, his, his famous reply was real simple. He said, I am faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with this world? He goes, I am. I'm what's wrong with this world. What was he saying? He was saying, we're the problem. Human beings are the problem. Because you see what's happened. This is gonna maybe be a shock to some people's system. But in the last 75 years, our education system has told our society over and over and over and over and over and over again until people will tell you, people are basically good. And that's not true. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but we're fallen. And sin has tainted all of our lives. And evil does not come from somebody else's bad decision. Evil comes with the fact that all of us have been affected by sin and we all need a savior. And the reason why it's more difficult to preach the gospel today than ever before is because people cannot believe that they need a savior because they see themselves as intrinsically good. It's very difficult. We need to understand that. That's why people are resisting. You know, people don't want to be told that they're bad. Everybody's accepting everybody's bad and sinful behavior today. Anybody figured that out yet? I know I'm totally politically incorrect right now, but I don't really care because I'm biblically correct and I'm theologically sound and I will tell you right now that people are intrinsically dealing with a sin nature and evil stems from every human being who's not surrendered to God. And when we all live in rebellion against God, we have a complex sin-filled world. Got real quiet. See, I know this goes right against everything we're being taught today, but it's what the Bible teaches. And they'll go, oh, the Bible's teaching hatred. No, the Bible's teaching a message of grace, that God is willing to forgive sinners and begin to change us and restore us into the image that we were designed to be, made into the image like unto God, and that we become the person that God originally designed us to become. You know, when we have an incorrect understanding of who God is, the problem is we become what we believe. And when we start getting a true understanding of the true nature of God, we can become like him. That is so profound to me. We can be changed into his likeness. Well, I'll tell you, if you don't think his brothers misunderstood them, listen to what happened I'll end this point with this two verses of scripture. Then Jesus entered a house. This is on another occasion. And a great crowd had gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. They were so busy doing ministry. And the Bible says in the next verse, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he's out of his mind. That's a nice way of saying, I think he's nuts. He's got visions of grandeur, you know. Poor Jesus, we better help him. He's really losing touch with reality. Would you say these guys did not believe in him? Okay, let me move to the second response. Okay, for the first one is simply, Jesus is telling them his position. The second is resignation. What I mean by that is accept the fact that sometimes people won't receive what you're saying when you're saying it. And just don't fight with them. Don't argue with them. You've said your explanation, be nice about it and move on. You say, why? Because later on, you don't know what God will do if you put good seeds inside of people's hearts. You know, I think we need to understand that some people will not receive what we're saying or doing. Jesus not only accepted his mission, but accepted that many simply didn't understand who he was and what he was about to do. How many know Jesus knew he was misunderstood? He didn't lose sleep over it, believe me. He just knew that was gonna happen. But he also knew that God was gonna reach some of these people. The Father and the Spirit 
with the son. There were all going, there, there was going to be people coming into the kingdom of God because of what he had done. He knew that. So in fellowship with the Father, Jesus now embarks on a secret trip to Jerusalem. The issue was not that Jesus would not go to the festival, but that he would not go on his half-brother's program and timing. Their point is simply that if anybody wants to be, you know, noted, they'd have to get in the public eye. Jesus goes there silently, secretly, and only exposes himself at the last day of the feast when everybody's gathered, and now it's too... You know, the, the leaders can't arrest him because all of the people are now listening to him, okay? So Jesus is very strategic in what he's doing. There's a time for everything. And when you're walking with God, to be in God's timing is so critical. Uh, Don Carson says, Jesus' response to his brothers is not that he's planning to stay in Galilee forever, but that his life is regulated by his heavenly Father's appointments. And he's not going to the feast when, he set, when they say he should. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, the counsel of the wicked cannot be permitted to set his agenda. If you read Psalm 1.1, it says, you know, we know we're not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. These guys are not righteous right now. As far as Jesus is concerned, he's not listening to them. They're not giving him good advice. You know, he wants to hear his father's advice. His not turns down his brother's request. It's not, it does not promise that he will not go to the feast when the father sanctions the trip, which he does. Jesus now walks apart from his earthly family. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we have to walk apart. It's tough. They're not on the same page. You know, we don't make a big deal about it. It's, you know, we pray. We still love. We don't criticize. We just walk apart. And he secretly begins to attend the, fe the feast. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also, not publicly, but in secret, Jesus now leaves Galilee. This is for the last time. He's never going to go back to Galilee. He, he's only got months to live. He knows how dangerous it is. It's amazing. This is an amazing thing. You know, how would you like to live with the, the foreshadowing that you knew your life was coming to an end? You were going to be falsely accused, betrayed, and crucified. How, how many would that, isn't that, how many think that's a bit of a weight? You know, a lot of people are criticizing you, and there's people angry with you, and uh, intense Jesus' life was not easy. I think we need to know that. You know, most of the people in Jesus' hour saw this as a political... The Messiah in their minds was a political solution. And in Jesus' mind, his Messiahship was a spiritual solution. They were looking for freedom from political enemies. Jesus was trying to free people from their sins, which is the greater evil. And we need to understand that. And sometimes even as Christians, we get sucked into this vortex that we got to kind of deal with all of the problems of our day. And I'm saying the biggest problem in the day is the individual sin in all of our lives. And if we could address that, we could change society. Do you know if we had a real move of God where people started you know, surrendering their lives and humbling themselves and repenting, if a society would repent and turn itself to God, you'd see all of the, these problems that we're all dealing with right now would start evaporating. It's true. That's our greatest need, to get right with God. When people get right with God, marriages get restored. When people get right with God, there's a whole bunch of stuff that starts happening. People gotta get right with God. And in our society, if you look at all the broken parts, it's because people are in a wrong relationship with God. Get right with God. Look at the mixed review Jesus experienced. Verse 11. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, well, where is he? What was their agenda? Let's kill him, right? 
goes on here to say, others were whispering. They were all talking about, Jesus was being talked about, but they were whispering it. Nobody's going to say this publicly, you know. Hey, he's a good man. Jesus is a good man. Others were saying, no, no, he's deceiving the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. I think there's three attitudes reflected in these verses. Number one, the religious leaders were seeking an opportunity to kill him. That's, that's evident. Second group of people were defending him and saying, no, no, you, how can you do all these beautiful miracles? You know, the blind are seeing, you know, the, all the things Jesus, feeding the 5,000. I mean, people were recognizing something unusual is happening here. The third group said, no, he's an imposter. He's out here deceiving people, okay? But you know what may be the greatest problem? And I think it's a problem that we're faced with today. Nobody wants to say anything publicly about him because they're afraid of others. They were afraid of the leaders. They were afraid of their state in life. And I think it may be the greatest problem we face today. The church is silent about Jesus because there's an awareness of the growing hostility of our culture toward Christ and his message. How many say that's probably true? We're just becoming silent. The only problem is that without the gospel, the culture will continue to grow darker. So if you don't like the direction we're going in, we have, to, we have to start praying, God give us courage to speak the truth in a loving way, right? We also need, just, just to review, what can we learn from Jesus about being misunderstood? This is my conclusion. We need to explain and not argue with others. Don't even bother, it's not worth it. Explain your position, that's it. Though initially, like Jesus' half-brothers, they may not initially believe, but later God can use the words you're sharing with them to help them change their minds. You don't know the power of sowing seed. See, if, you, if you've ever had a conversion, you're, you, know, like you didn't just grow up in a Christian church, but you had people putting seeds in your soul. You know what happens later on. You know, you're, you're fighting those words. After that person's long gone, you're still dealing with those words. Why? Because they're God's words and they're living words, and they're powerful words, and they're life-changing words. You gotta deal with those words. They can irritate you. It says, secondly, we should not be surprised by people and their hostility towards faith in Christ. Jesus explained that this world system and its values will always be in opposition to God's word and the work of Christ. However, we must not let fear silence us, otherwise the world around us will only get darker. The future of people depends on us accepting this life-giving message that brings the good news of Jesus to others. Amen? And so let's stand this, this today. And I know that all of us in this room, if we've walked with God, you have to admit there's probably been somebody that's misunderstood you. Isn't that true? And there's probably people that don't like what you're saying. <laughs> And I'm, what am I saying to you? I think what we need to be praying is, Lord, help me, to make, help me to make up my mind. Help me to see it very clearly. Friendship with God, I will be the world's enemy. If I'm a friend of the world, I will be God's enemy. Whose enemy do you want to be? I want to be God's friend. I'd rather have God as my friend and the world as my enemy than the world as my friend and God as my enemy. How many say, Pastor, I'm joining you? I'm not going to worry about what the world's saying anymore. Here's number two. I want to pray for us. How many here say, you know what? 
I have a tendency, I don't like offending people, Pastor, I'm a good Canadian. I got my hand up. Okay, I don't like offending people, I'm a good Canadian. But, 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 here's the deal. I can see the world around me getting darker and darker and people are getting more confused. And you know what? I'm just gonna say, God, I need more courage because fear is impeding me from doing your will. And you know what? I don't wanna live a fearful life. I wanna be a faith-filled person. And when God shows me what to say, I don't have to be you know, aggressive or mean or argumentative or nasty, none of that stuff. But I want the wisdom to be able to say the right words to explain when people have the wrong idea to say, you know, there's another way of looking at this and just begin to explain it. And they may say, oh, you know, I don't buy it. Don't worry about it, just pray for them. You've now deposited some good seeds that are gonna haunt them. <laughs> I'll just tell you that because Jesus is half brothers. They thought Jesus was crazy. But I can tell you when Jesus came back from the, the dead, he started appearing people. And one of them, it says, and he appeared to James. Now, I, I can't prove this. I don't know if it was James, the brother of John he appeared to. I have a feeling it was Jesus's half-brother James, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Did you know that? He was the leader in the Jerusalem church. That's the James that became the leader there. Jesus's half-brother. Isn't that amazing? He got turned around. I suppose it helps when you start coming back from the dead. That does affect you a little bit. You know, that would really help you out. Going, wow, did I ever get this wrong? <laughs> I'm so sorry. You really were the Messiah. Wow. Uh, isn't that amazing? But it may not be that stark and dramatic when we're presenting the gospel. But let's, let's believe that as we share the good news. I want to pray today that we will all grow in our courage. How many say, I'm up to, I need more courage. I got two hands up. I need more courage. And I, I wanna have opportunity. I, I, I don't want this world to get any darker. I wanna see people come to know Christ and experience forgiveness and experience love and experience joy and hope. That's my prayer. And the brokenness in their souls gets eliminated and there's restoration in relationships. I wanna be a part of that. And that's what God brings to the equation. I want to be a part of the solution and not just by my silence perpetuate problem. I don't want to do that. I want to pray for great courage. And I want to pray for a congregation that says, you know what? We don't care anymore what people think of us or say about us anymore because we are a friend of God and we know that there'll be people in society that won't like us. But we, we've accepted that. That's the price to pay to be a friend of God. And I'm prepared to pay that price. But now I need courage. And so Father, this morning, as we lift our hands to you, we're saying, Lord, you know what? Help us to be unafraid. Help us to be courageous. Help us to understand that we're your friend. And yes, the world will hate us, but that's okay, they hated you. But many of them just don't understand yet and they're, they're still winnable. And if we will share with courage and kindness and acceptance, and even though they may think we're a kook, they may think we're insane, they may think we're a nut, they may, may think we're, you know, whatever they think, it doesn't really matter as long as we get a chance to explain to them the good news and the love and the grace and the forgiveness and that we are able to see people maybe down the road repent and turn to you and come back and say, you know, I was so sorry, I was wrong, I got it. 
I came to know Jesus. That's what matters. And I pray for that kind of courage today. I pray that we will stop being so worried about what people think and say and be more concerned about pleasing you and being your servants in our broken world. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.